Hi, you're listening to Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin. Today, for episode 256, David Bailey, CEO of BTC Media, the parent company of Bitcoin Magazine, rejoins me on the show and we're talking about Bitcoin 2021 and just what's going on in this bull market. New from Swan Bitcoin is their private client services division, built for the Bitcoin purchasing needs of companies and high net worth individuals around the globe. Last August, MicroStrategy CEO Michael Saylor kicked off the trend of companies buying Bitcoin for their balance sheets. A flood of high-profile investors and companies have joined him, names like Paul Tudor Jones, BlackRock, Square, and Tesla. If you're thinking of buying between 1 and 100 million US dollars worth of Bitcoin over the next year, email Swan's CEO personally, Corey at swanbitcoin.com. That's C-O-R-Y at swanbitcoin.com. He will personally make sure that you get onboarded faster than any other service in Bitcoin. The Swan team takes the time to answer all of your questions about Bitcoin and to help you develop your strategy for allocating into the best risk-reward investment in history. An opportunity like this to build and preserve legacy-impacting wealth for your family or company will likely not be seen again in our lifetimes. If you want to get started immediately, visit swanbitcoin.com private or email corey at swanbitcoin.com. Are you thinking about your security? Well, Unchained Capital are building Bitcoin native financial services using multi-signature. So you can take two different hardware wallets and set up a multi-signature vault for ultra-secure long-term storage. Unchained Capital can also guide you through this process with the Vault Concierge service, where they ship you some hardware wallets, answer your questions, and deposit $1,000 of Bitcoin in your vault. So use the code Levero if you're interested in that. Unchained Capital also offer business accounts for those of you, uh, if you're a company, moving Bitcoin to Treasury. And they also offer loans for those of you who would like to get some liquidity without spending your Bitcoins. So go to unchained-capital.com to find out more. Compass is an online marketplace which makes it easier for everyone to mine Bitcoin and enhance the Bitcoin network's security. The anti-cloud mining option, Compass helps you buy your own ASIC and secure hosting at great facilities around the world. For years, we have all heard that mining is only profitable if you're investing tons of money. But now, with Compass, everyone is able to tap into economies of scale and access reasonably priced hardware and cheap industrial power rates. And if you're unsure about how to get started with mining Bitcoin, Compass offers hardware and hosting bundles which eliminates the need for advanced technical knowledge and allows you to quickly get started mining Bitcoin with hardware you own. Visit them at minewithcompass.com and start mining Bitcoin today. On to the show. David, welcome back to the show. Steven, thank you for having me on. Yeah, so uh, there's been a lot going on since we uh, last spoke on the show, formally that is. Um, but uh, I'm very excited. There's a lot of things going on. We've got the Bitcoin conference, 2021 conference coming up. There's a lot of stuff happening with Bitcoin Magazine, so I'm excited to uh, get into that. So tell us a little bit about uh, what's on your mind lately. Well, uh, first and foremost, uh, putting together the biggest Bitcoin event in history. So, I mean, that's... Uh, a bit of a challenge, especially with COVID, especially with the politics, et cetera. So there's been some ups and downs, but I mean, it's it's all coming together beautifully. And this is going to be, I mean, no one's ever have going to have seen an event like this before. I mean, this is like the, the, you know, our experience with events is that as you get closer to the event, they ramp in terms of the number of people buying tickets, the, the quality of the speakers you get, et cetera. Everyone leaves it to the last minute, right? Yeah. Where we're at right now, 100 days out, we can barely handle what's going on now. I, we expect it to 5x to 10x from here. I don't even I don't even know what we're going to do. So like our biggest, we're like trying to get ahead of the scaling challenges here. But I mean, this 
this event, if we could legally sell the number of tickets, I think this could be a 15,000 person event. I don't think legally they're going to let us have that many people, but the it's getting wild. That's awesome. And I mean, I recall from Bitcoin 2019, you had at least a couple thousand. It was probably three or four, maybe 5,000, that people, that many people there. Yeah, it was about 2,500 people, 2,500, but it was a good sized crowd. And I mean, this, I mean, yeah, yeah, that was the biggest Bitcoin only event that I think had ever, ever happened or maybe tied with the biggest. And um, this is so much bigger. And I mean, like, you know, uh, it went from us people that would be like headliners, that would be like our top speaker. We're now getting someone like that almost every day who's writing it. So it's like, uh, <laughs> it's pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy. So I mean, we're excited. This is going to be like the, the challenge that we were trying to deal with yesterday. I won't name their name, but a, a very famous investor that uh, people um, people would know, value investor. We're having to find a spot where he can park his 300 foot yacht um, so that he can he can bring the yacht in and host a party on his boat for Bitcoin whales. So I mean, it's like okay, those are cool cool challenges to have to be dealing with. So we're like really amped up about the conference, and I mean, it's it's going to be nuts. Oh man, you're giving me major FOMO. I'm like doing my best to try and get out of here and get over there, but it's kind of like in the Australian circumstance, it's like there's travel restrictions and you have to like apply. And I don't, I honestly don't know if I'll be able to make it at this point. I'm obviously going to do my best to try and get there myself. Um, but I had a great experience at Bitcoin 2019, and I'm, I'm really based on you know the guests that you have already for for this one, this round, it's going to be huge. I mean, you've got so many big names. You've got uh, Nick Zabo, Dorsey, Sailor. You know all these people, so it's just Tony Hawk. Like, how can you even? Uh, how can you not go? We had a a. I'm trying to be careful saying names because if I, a lot of people listen to your podcast, I don't want to offend anybody who's listening. Um, but we had someone who's one of the highest ranking officials in government uh, uh, who want who it, it is agreed to speak. His people were trying to negotiate a keynote for them, and we're like, "Look, we like the guy." He's, he's doing cool stuff, but I'm sorry. Like, that's just, we have a more important, like we have other people that we have to have keynotes. We can't make one happen for you. And they're like, okay, it's okay. We'll be on a panel. And this is like one of the biggest, you know, government officials in the country. And it's like, yeah, it, sorry, we can't, can't get you a spot. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit about, um, now for listeners who haven't been to these Bitcoin conferences, one really cool thing is actually make sure you turn up a little bit early because there will be pre-events, some of them official, some of them unofficial. And it's just a good opportunity to just hang out and meet with a whole bunch of Bitcoin people who you might have interacted with on Twitter before, but you've never met in person. So can you tell us, David, a little bit about what you're thinking in terms of pre-events and what, what's the situation there? Yeah, so we're we're coordinating with partners now. We just announced the Miami move uh, about three weeks ago or so. Um, so a lot of people are trying to figure out where to move, how to move their events from what they were expecting to do in LA to Miami. Um, there's going to be a mining specific event. We talked to a partner the other day that wants to have a Bitcoin for sex workers event, uh, educating sex workers on how to use Bitcoin. I mean, it's the whole spectrum of who makes up the Bitcoin community. Everything from the libertarian side to the um, let's say shady anarchist side to the venture capital side to the, you know, uh, Larry Summers and Goldman Sachs side. Like it's, it's the whole spectrum. So, um, yeah, I, I expect that there's going to be 20, 30 different satellite events happening around the conference. Um, for the conference itself, we have kind of two different types of tickets. Uh, one is general mission. So it's like the two main days of the conference. Uh, plus an after party, 
Um, and then we have what we are calling the whale pass, which is uh, for basically it's like the investor ticket. And we have an extra day for whales that want to come in and find investment opportunities. And, you know, the whales are also subsidizing the conference for everyone, too. So we're uh, very appreciative of all the Bitcoin whales out there. Um, so um, going to be awesome opportunity, um, hopefully, to get some more hedge funds and institutional uh, funds deploying major dollars. And, um, you know, we're trying to make sure that they get a taste of the Bitcoin counterculture and know what we're all about. Like we don't we're not trying to make Bitcoin anything other than what it is. And, you know, we're not going to put a suit and tie on Bitcoin just because you're a hedge fund. It's like, no, this is the Bitcoin counterculture. You, you come to Bitcoin on Bitcoin's terms. We're, you're welcome to become a holder if you want. But like, you know, you have to kind of take the whole the whole project and the whole community if you want to be part of it. Right. And I think it's really fascinating how as this thing has grown up so much, and I know you were around in the early days, it's grown up so much now that there are different sub groups, if you will, there are almost different tribes inside the Bitcoin world, you know, and there's it's not, it's not what it was in, you know, the legendary 2013 days. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, you know, that was kind of the whole ethos of why we did Bitcoin 2019 is like, because the tribalization had gotten to the point where the groups just didn't talk to each other very much. And it's like, okay, we're all passionate about the same thing. If we can bring everyone together in the right environment, there can be that kind of cross-pollination going on. And so um, I I think, especially as Bitcoin's price goes up, um, uh, you know, the ability for Bitcoin to not pretend to be something other than it is, is just like, it, it is what it is what it is. It's a trillion dollar asset class. It's the biggest movement happening in the world. You can be a part of it or you don't have to be a part of it. But um, that kind of confidence that comes with the community, I think, is really like letting people... What's the word? Peacock, uh, uh, Reagan, <laughs> whatever they call it. So, uh, yeah, and, and you know, the one thing that I'm really, I, I'm sad that we're going to miss from this year's conference is like in 2019, we had a huge contingent from the Chinese Bitcoin community. We had a huge contingent from the South American Bitcoin community. Um, I think we'll have still a lot of people from the South American Bitcoin community, but the China community, it's like it's it's a nightmare um, right now trying to figure out all the travel restrictions, and so. Um, yeah, so, you know, what I love about Bitcoin so much is that there is a Bitcoin naturally self filters for the type of people that are interested in it. And so, you know, if you're living anywhere in the world and you're passionate about Bitcoin, there's something that attracted it to you to it that you share in common with someone else in the community that maybe has completely different life circumstances. And so, you know, it's it's cool to meet somebody that you think you share nothing in common with or very few things in common, but like you have this instant kind of um, connection that's that's actually a very deep connection. Uh, and, you know, we've, we've been able to kind of make friendships with people all around the world because of this kind of shared passion for Bitcoin. And I, I hope at Bitcoin 2022, that's going to be back on display. But for 2021, it's going to be probably heavy, heavy North American. Gotcha. Just from a travel and restrictions point of view, unfortunately, that's kind of the way it might be. And, you know, uh, yeah, it's a real shame, but hopefully um, things open up more and people can start traveling safely and all of that. I will say that, you know, I can't name the company yet, but a, a household brand name company that everyone listening to this will know uh, is partnering with us to bring like the best live stream experience possible for people around the world who will be watching. So, 
Um, we'll have like a roving camera team. We'll have, you know, a, a dedicated live stream stage. Like we will um, really try to make a, a top quality uh, experience for people around the world who just can't be there in, per- in person. And, and we'll miss you. Um, but there's always 2022. Yeah. And I, I would say as well, even from my own perspective, when you go in person to these events, it is a huge deal because the, I guess it's hard to explain and put it into words, but it's just like the energy you get from just like meeting people in real life and actually hanging out with some of these Bitcoin people like who you might've seen online and you might've, maybe you've heard them on a podcast, but you've never met them. Or maybe even from my perspective, I might have interviewed them, but never met them in person. And it's just a fantastic experience if you can go in person. So that I would really encourage people who are, you know, able to go, definitely do. Well, and, and you know, we're, we really try hard to create some awesome activations. So like one thing we'll have this year, we've, we've had this already done for a year and a half. And so we're very eager to see it come to, to fruition. But um, Tony Hawk will be there. We have a half pipe that we're building for him to skateboard on with some of his, like, I think they're the... They're called the bird crew. Uh, and so like you're at a business conference or whatever bit, whatever this conference is. Uh, and like literally just off to the left, Tony Hawk will be just shredding on a half pipe, you know, and like we're trying to find sumo wrestlers that we can bring in. Um, you know, we're trying to figure out how we can get a swimming pool put on the back of like an 18 wheeler. Like, like it's a, uh, it's not just like a intellectual experience. It's a little bit of like the smell, the sights, the sounds, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's the full, the full Monty. And I think one thing I enjoyed as well, even in the 2019 conference, is you had some of these uh, gaming machines, and you were using, you had Lightning. So I think Open Node had done like a collaboration to set up so you can have like these little pinball machines and a whole bunch of other gaming machines, and you would pay with Lightning. And back then, lightning was still like even lightning today is still early. But even then, it was really early. So you kind of, yeah, you know, and, and like I think you literally paid one sat just to, you know, on lightning just to kind of yeah. have an experience, right? But um, I think it's yeah, we're trying to take that to the next level this year too. Um, uh, it's you know a lot of a lot of vendors to be coordinated, so it's it's more challenging this time around. But um, yeah, I mean, one of the things we want people to leave the conference with is to be inspired about what can be done with Bitcoin and to say, hey, like that was cool, but I can do it better. And like, we want people to walk away and like have their next startup idea or the next like garage project that they're working on to spring out of this. And so uh, making Bitcoin like front and center is uh, um, kind of number one priority uh, for us. Yeah. So I'm actually curious then as well from, uh, I guess, Bitcoin and the different narratives that exist, right? You've got you know, obviously the Michael Saylor corporate treasury style, you've got this kind of, you know, maybe the individual, the sovereign individual aspect of it. You've got this idea of Bitcoin as F you money, right? I want to be able to spend it whenever I want and you can't stop me. So I guess, how do you see those? And I guess, what's your view over that over this last you know year or so? Yeah, so uh, we kind of conceptualized the content and agenda so far as kind of three different tracks of content, uh, Bitcoin, the movement, uh, Bitcoin, the technology and, and Bitcoin, the asset. And so, um, you know, those are three very different uh, uh, prospects. <clears throat> you know, I will say like the team had a pretty big debate the other day about uh, what exactly is uh, Bitcoin, Bitcoin relevant? What does that mean? Uh, what does Bitcoin only even mean? Um, there are projects out there right now like Rin BTC, Wrapped Bitcoin. Um, you know, there are, are people that are trying to create kind of Ethereum-based smart contracts that you can leverage your Bitcoin within. Is that Bitcoin relevant? You know, or or is that is that 
where exactly is the line drawn between what it is and is not part of the Bitcoin ecosystem and protocol? So it's a tough question. I don't think we have an exact answer, but it's been interesting to see how these things start blending together, like especially in the Ethereum community right now with DeFi, like the technology and the asset have, have, are, are blended so tightly together. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, gotcha. So in terms of the different um, tracks, then are they going to be like, is there going to be like a main stage and then kind of like side show side stages going on with like tech track or what's going on with that? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and what we're trying to work right now is also like what type of breakout spaces will we have? Um, you know, we, we don't have a hackathon this year, which we're pretty disappointed about. You know, we don't have there are a couple of things that we wish we had if we had had more time to find like a, the exact venue. But for us, like having an in-person event was the priority and just executing and making it happen. Um, uh, you know, we uh, we have right now two different stages, a live stream stage and then the content for what's called the deep, which is where whale passes you access to. So the investor investor comp, uh, content, really startup pitches, product pitches about like, hey, take your money and literally deploy it into this. Um, so that's how we're, we're breaking it up. I think we've only kind of formalized maybe a third of the content so far, um, but we're, we're right in the throes of it. Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of it, as you said, a lot of it just kind of comes together at the last minute. So then you kind of have to quickly arrange things and get them into a presentable format. One thing I'm really a little bit worried about is like Bitcoin 2019, we had we had the, the smaller stage at 2019 where it was like uh, all user submitted content. So you had like a, a pitch of what you wanted to talk about and we were selecting the most interesting topics as you wanted to surface new projects. This year, it feels a little bit more Hollywood and I don't like, you know, it's like, oh, you know, uh, Michael Saylor speaking, he's a really big deal. We need to get him involved. He has noteworthy things to say. But I like I liked surfacing interesting ideas from people you've never heard of. So we got to figure out how to how to work that back in. Like the um, Brandon Quintum did his presentation on Bitcoin as mycelium. Uh, now that's, a, I think, a huge concept a lot of people like appreciate. But at that time, it wasn't. Uh, we had Nick Bhatia do uh, uh, risk-free... Uh, uh, the lightning relay rate, um, which at that time was a pretty niche topic. So um, yeah, we got a lot of work to do. We saw a lot of work to do. Yeah. And even even then, the challenge also is kind of like people's attention will naturally go towards the big names, right? Like if Michael Saylor or Jack Dorsey are speaking, like, you know, 95% of people are going to go for that. So you kind of have to balance things out in some way. Uh, but uh, we, we really don't feel like this is our conference. We feel like we're custodians of a conference that is really for the community. And so, you know, after this year, when there's like some breathing room, we're going to have to assess it all. How do we do content going forward? Because it, it, we don't want it to be a popularity contest. You know, it's like this is this is about the ideas and it's about builders. It's about inventors. So, you know, we got to really surface the great ideas and make sure that that doesn't get lost in the mix. Yeah. And actually, that's probably a good spot to chat a little bit about uh, the content strategy with Bitcoin Magazine. Can you tell us a little bit? I know the, sh- the strategy has perhaps shifted a little and you're kind of doing more maybe in the podcast direction and live streams and things like that. So what's the uh, the approach nowadays with Bitcoin Magazine? Yeah. So, I, you know, when was the last time we talked? When was our, the, the last time I was on the podcast? Oh, it would have been before 2019. <laughs> before uh, we spoke, it would have been, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we basically, when we made the decision to go all in on Bitcoin, 
part of that decision also was, you know, uh, we're really going to invest into bringing Bitcoin Magazine back to full greatness. And we're going to also take our entire corporate treasury and put it all in Bitcoin and just YOLO. And uh, uh, I think both of those things have played out really nicely since the last time I was on your podcast. <laughs> uh, CK, uh, Christian, the one and only Christian Corollis is um, uh, now the uh, product manager um, and really business manager for for Bitcoin Magazine. And he's just taken it to the next level. I'm, I'm, he's very passionate, super hard worker, and like he loves Bitcoin. And you know, we have a rule at the company. Everyone has to be a Bitcoiner who works here now. So it's like live, breathe, eat, sleep, Bitcoin 24-7, 365. And, and I think CK really embodies that. He's brought that attitude. And, um, you know, our the amount of content we've been creating has gone up a lot. Um, you know, we're, we've been very active in the taproot activation discussion and, and trying to further that that dialogue. Um, we have someone, Joe Rogers, who has come onto our team to, to lead community. Um, Nick Cantmine on Twitter, who now leads our social for us. And, and we're, I've signed like three new employment agreements in the past, you know, two days for uh, new hires at Bitcoin Magazine. So we're, that team just keeps growing. And, um, you know, we want Bitcoin Magazine to be the number one um, most influential and influential isn't the right word, like the platform to enable the Bitcoin community to discuss the important topics of the day. Like we want we want to give Bitcoin a true home, go at it. And uh, I think the energy that we've brought the past six months has really kind of shown a taste of what's to come, but the next six months is going to be even better. I mean, I like it's no longer will there be a non Bitcoin only media publication that is uh, number one in our, in our industry. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's great. And I mean, even for me, I've obviously I've collaborated with you guys and the team over the years and uh, I had the opportunity to do an op-ed at the end of last year as well, like, a, you know, just a 2020 year in review from my perspective. Um, so uh, certainly that was really good. And I, I think that's really great, um, really great job that you and the team are doing in terms of kind of promoting Bitcoin. And that's, that's important. I want to be clear that I deserve no credit in any of this. It's really like our hardcore team of Bitcoiners making it happen. You know, the 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 one, you know, we have a, several different goals at Bitcoin Magazine. One thing that we have coming out soon is uh, really a revamped tutorials on how to get started with Bitcoin that I think are going to be different and new from what's out there in the ecosystem now. Um, we're working on getting together like a FUD busting dedicated uh, resource of like every piece of bullshit news you hear we have to take down like Bitcoin is not inefficient, for example, or, you know, uh, Tether is not what's pumping the Bitcoin price. Um, and hyper Bitcoinization, I think, you know, we talked about this maybe a little bit last time I was on the podcast, but the price of Bitcoin is going to go to 250, $350,000 this year. And when we get there, you know, and we're at a $10 trillion market cap, People are going to start asking the question, where do we go from here? Like, you know, another 10x event, and now we're as big as the public equity market. How much bigger can Bitcoin go? And the only answer to that question is really the ideological discussion of like hyper Bitcoinization, and it can go a lot, lot, lot higher. So I, I think that there's very few resources out there on the web about what that vision could look like, um, what that universe looks like five years, 10 years from now. And, uh, you know, we want to invest heavily into content around that topic, no matter how radical and crazy it sounds or dumb it sounds like we just want to like get people's creative juices and intellectual juices flowing. 
Yeah, that's a really interesting theme. And I think for those of us who come from a libertarian perspective, as I know you're similar to me there, that we kind of see it as like it's challenging central banks and so on. But again, people have their own different views on it. But um, I think it's it's hard for people to kind of put a final number on what do we, what do we, how big do we actually think this thing goes, right? I mean, people say, okay, um, people point back to the Hal Finney number from 2010, where he was saying, look, it could be $10 million in purchasing power terms. And, you know, and then there are people who are out there saying it'll be more than that. It's one twenty-one millionth of all things. Like that's that that's the ultimate price of a Bitcoin. And, um, you know, the challenge is then the question is like, well, what's the value of, of all the things? And no one even can answer that question. No, I mean, we, like we were talking about, like someone needs to build a coin market cap where all it does is visualize all the things that exist. Like there's this many cows on the world. And if you own a Bitcoin, you're one twenty-one millionth of all the cows. It's this many cows. Like... <laughs> I think people would be shocked by how these numbers would be like, wow, I'd have 70,000 cows. Like I'd have, you know, 200,000 acres of land. So um, I, you know, I think it gets, it gets really, it gets really wild. And I think it also gets wild from the standpoint of, of how it transforms our society from the, from the standpoint of, of like things like uh, Bitcoin mining, the amount of, the amount of wealth that is basically transferred from the Bitcoin network to Bitcoin miners. That's like direct in a, in investment into the production capacity or the, um, the hard sciences that enable mining to happen. Like if you look at the cost inputs of mining, it's like energy or it's uh, uh, chip fabrication or it's data center building. Okay. Well, you know, basically if, if mining's eating 1% or 2% of the value of the network per year, that's just transferring value to who can do those things the best. Um, and I think that that will have a transformational effect on um, what people go to school to learn, uh, what how quickly the pace of science happens across our entire uh, uh, globe. Um, you know, if you think about how quickly uh, mining caught up with Intel and, and Taiwan semiconductors on going from GPU mining to the you know 64 nanometer uh, ASICs to like seven nanometer ASICs that timeline was I mean seven years it was insane what if that was like applied equally across all technology globally like we would just be living in a radically transforming times and so I don't know I think there's a lot of societal benefits that are unseen um, that unless you really start exploring the idea and you start thinking from the first principle of okay Bitcoin is all that exists it's just hard to conceptualize. It's hard to conceptualize. Yeah. And I guess the other interesting thing is the journey getting there, because now it seems like things are advancing in ways that enable people to use the fiat system to their advantage, right? And an example is, you know, people like Michael Saylor issuing debt to buy Bitcoin, doing the, uh, the Pierre Rochard speculative attack that he wrote about in 2014. Or another example would be People are talking about how miners, so people talk about, oh, okay, miners have to sell coins to pay their expenses. But then the next level now is you're hearing miners who are saying, no, hold on, I actually just get more debt and I use that to pay my expenses so that I can keep hodling the coins. So I guess these are all factors where it's it's really going to start ramping up. Yeah, I mean, how long before uh, Nvidia is uh, just a Bitcoin mining company, or you know, uh, Solar City uh, is just a Bitcoin mining, you know, like. There's going to be huge companies that are just going to um, convert their business models, significantly increase the amount of investment happening in those areas. Like I, I'm surprised that we don't have like a forge that's been built yet, like a um, a direct like Intel competitor 
specifically for Bitcoin mining chips. Like I think we'll get there before long just because of how many billions now are going into to, uh, fabricating new chips. But um, that's been one of the biggest constraints of like forge time for people to be able to tap out a, a new line of smaller chips. As soon as Bitcoiners control those things, we're unleashed. We're unleashed. So yeah, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. And um, so in terms of on-ramps for people, I think that's also an interesting area as well, because, you know, obviously we've got the whole dollar cost averaging stuff and we've got even, I mean, the the sats back kind of companies, right? The lolly and the folds of the world uh, that are kind of offering this new way for people who maybe they're not fully sold on Bitcoin itself, but they're happy to just start with some Bitcoin rewards. And maybe that's their that's their stepping stone before they come down the full rabbit hole and become a full orange built Bitcoiner. So um, what do you see as like on ramps and very viable on ramps in this next you know year or so? Well, the number one on ramp for people long term is their capacity to earn Bitcoin. I mean, I'm a true believer that like people's labor is that's their number one ability. That's the number one on ramp. And so if we can get people to start paying people for creating value in Bitcoin like that, you know, there are no artificial constraints. As long as we define the on ramps in our system as the using the banking system to get involved, you're going to we're shutting out over half the user base of of what it's going to use Bitcoin. You know, I, I, I also think like. You know, when I joined, when I got involved in Bitcoin, I was a young, like I was a libertarian, I was a young kid, but I was, you know, I still was like a normal person from the standpoint of like Bitcoin's high risk. I'll never have, you know, 1% or 5% or 10% of my money in Bitcoin. Well, as time has gone on and I've gotten more and more comfortable and confident, you know, I've lost complete confidence in the legacy system. I mean, I look at that as like, why would anyone hold political money when they could hold math-based money? I mean, I don't even understand, especially with COVID times and the insanity we've seen in the past three or four years. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of looking for this developing trend here of people that enter into the Bitcoin ecosystem and enter into Bitcoin. They live their entire lives inside of Bitcoin. And they never exit the system. And so like now I have 95% plus of my net worth in Bitcoin. I'm, I'm looking to get the other 5% into Bitcoin. And I'm looking for financial products that allow me to barely touch the financial system in only like the limited number of cases I need to. But I never want to exit from the system. And so, you know, I take my payment. If people owe me money, they pay me in Bitcoin. I take my uh, uh, income from the business, pay me in Bitcoin. Um, and I think that like that you have to be pretty far down the rabbit hole to be there. But every year we go, the number of people that are like that far deep down the rabbit hole grows, I think, exponentially. Like I think t- like, you know, maybe a few years ago, there was 10,000 people like that. Now there's probably 100,000 people like that. One or two years from now, there'll be a million people like that. And those are the people that are really, I think, treading the path for all people to follow. Like this is how to completely divest yourself from the legacy financial system and be able to live a normal life. And as more and more people live entirely inside of Bitcoin, the on-ramps become less important because any economic activity that happens with any of those people that are 100% all in in Bitcoin, it happens in Bitcoin terms. You want me to invest into your startup? I'm going to write the investment in Bitcoin. You want, you know, to work at our company? Okay, well, we're going to pay you in, you know, maybe a dollar denominated sum in Bitcoin. And so I think that those on-ramps are just going to become more and more sizable. I mean, um, especially when you have companies like, let's say, if if Tesla uh, gets far enough down this path and they have 10,000 employees that overnight that they want to 
start paying their salaries in Bitcoin. I think those, those, are, those are the on-ramps that really matter long-term. Back to the show in a moment. Coinkite.com are the creators of the cold card, one of the most recommended hardware wallets by Bitcoiners. I think it's the best in the market. It's got so many awesome features like the ability to use it air-gapped. It has an address explorer so you can verify your receive address. There's all sorts of features and you can use it with a lot of popular wallets like Spectre Desktop or Electrum or Blue Wallet. I've long been a fan of this wallet. It offers very high security at such a relatively low price point. You can even start with it in a single signature setup and then later transition into using this as part of your multi-sig setup. So it's really great for that also. Go get yours at coinkite.com and use the code LEVERA for a discount. Lend at HodlHodl is a non-custodial Bitcoin-backed lending platform that allows you to lend and borrow globally and anonymously. Don't have your stablecoin money laying around, lend it and earn attractive returns. HodlHodl's lending allows you to earn 25% APR on average, which is one of the highest returns on the market. Also, there is no need to sell your bitcoins even if you're short on funds. This is a way to get some fiat stablecoin liquidity without the need to trust your money to just one party. Because with Lend at HodlHodl, your BTC collateral always remains locked in a 2 of 3 escrow. Lend at HodlHodl is a Bitcoin DeFi, allowing peer-to-peer lending and borrowing directly between users. So with this platform, you set your own terms and you put up offers depending how long you want to borrow or lend and what interest. Go and check it out at lend.hodlhodl.com. And finally, cyphersafe.io, producing the Cypher Wheel product. So if you have a Bitcoin hardware wallet, are you just relying on that piece of paper? Well, start thinking about doing it in a way that's fireproof, waterproof, rust-proof, pet-proof, and tamper-evident. The Cypher Wheel comes in a wheel shape. It's made out of stainless steel, so it'll protect you in the case of fire. And you can slide in four tiles, four letters for each word in your seed, And in doing so, you can make sure that you or your loved ones have access to your bitcoins if an accident occurs. You can go and order yours at cyphersafe.io and use the code LEVERA for a discount. Back to the show. Mm -hmm. And in terms of the hurdles for people earning Bitcoin today, the typical ones you hear are, oh, look, my my payroll and accounting system isn't set up for this or, you know, know, the accounting is a burden for me. Those are the typical burdens or hurdles that we hear today. What, What do you see as the main hurdles and how do you see those being overcome over the next year or so? The reasons you hear from people about why they don't do, let's say, payroll and Bitcoin are the same reasons that you heard from people about why they don't accept Bitcoin at their store five years ago. And, uh, you know, at this point in time, there's literally no reason not to accept Bitcoin unless maybe like you're worried about government intimidation against you or or something like that. But other than that, there's no reason why you shouldn't be accepting it. Um, But it's just not a high enough priority for people. The prioritization uh, of, you know, integrating that into your stack, which takes one hour of time from an engineer, it only shows up when all of a sudden there's demand. And so when the price starts going up, now it's a priority for everyone. We just talked to a Fortune 500 company that last week that's about to announce that they're accepting Bitcoin. It was not a priority for them until Elon Musk said he was doing it. And then they're like, whoa, we got to do it. So, you know, I think uh, prioritization follows the price. Um, and, you know, I think that three or four years from now, there will be zero excuse for not doing payroll in Bitcoin. Zero. Yeah, that's really fascinating. Um, But yeah, what you were saying there is very fascinating because I think it's all just part of the journey, right? Obviously, long timers who've been in, your net worth is basically, you're close to 100% in Bitcoin. But it's hard for people who are coming from a more fiat mindset where they, you know, still need the access to the fiat rails and they're not kind of 
to that level of thinking about their net worth in Bitcoin terms that they still kind of need that tether to the, you know, <laughs> no pun intended, you know, to the fiat system. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The view I'm espousing, it sounds insane to anyone who hasn't had 10 years of going through it and then like the, the shift in your mind that comes. But um, eventually, as long as you stay part of the community, you'll get there. And, um, you know, I think when you think of Bitcoin as a hundred year revolution, uh, you realize that like, you know, this whole Bitcoin experiment, it doesn't even start until Bitcoin is no longer traded for fiat currency. Like that's the beginning of the experiment when you can't buy Bitcoin with fiat currency anymore. And so, you know, I think maybe the next 10 years, it's really going to matter. The fidelities and the cash apps and the coin bases, they're going to matter. But uh, I think, you know, when we get to a point where there's a billion plus people around the world using Bitcoin in a semi-regular frequency, um, it's going to be so common for business transactions to happen natively in Bitcoin assets that like that's going to be the economic activity. And in terms of the inducement of people to care and prioritize, if there's a whole universe of economic activity going on that you can't be a part of unless you adopt the technology, you're going to adopt it. It's like that's the reason a lot of people join the Internet. There was all this stuff happening on the internet. And it's like, if you want to be a part of it, you got to get online. So, you know, I think we're just now getting to that point when we're at a trillion dollar asset class. But when we're at a $10 trillion asset class at the end of this year, like go, joining in, in Niagara Falls. Mm-hmm. This stuff is like finger in the air stuff, right? But as an example, people have said, you know, over 100 million people in the world hold some form of Bitcoin. Now, maybe some of them have, and some of those might be very shallow level uh, in terms of their kind of mental investment in understanding and learning about Bitcoin. And then you go down in a few more levels and you kind of get to, what would you say are the kind of relative numbers today? If you kind of just, you know, finger in the air said, how many like hardcore Bitcoin people there are today um, versus that kind of larger, you know, call at 100 million people who hold, who hold some exposure to Bitcoin or some. Yeah, I, I think Coinbase kind of revealed some of those numbers today a little bit. I think they said that they have 50 million active people who are customers who have KYC'd uh, and they have 2.1 million uh, monthly active users that are that are buying every month. Um, I think that that probably means if I had to guess, Coinbase has like 10% plus market share, 15% market share of, of global uh, Bitcoin activity. Um, so that probably means that there's 20 million monthly active uh, Bitcoiners. And I'd probably put them in the camp of people who call themselves Bitcoiners. If you're buying Bitcoin every month, you know, you're, you're, you're starting down that path. Um, and then I think that probably 10% of that crowd is like really hardcore Bitcoiners. Like, you know, like they're in the, they're in the divesting everything but Bitcoin uh, mode. So uh, <laughs> probably one or 2 million. Um, but to put that into context, there was probably only one to 2 million Bitcoiners, um, in 2015, you know, I mean, in, in 2014. So that's what, seven years ago. So, you know, we're seven years away from there being a hundred million people that are a hundred percent all in on Bitcoin and like, you know, use it every day in their daily lives. The revolution, I mean, that's, that's a lot of people. I mean, that's a lot of people. So I think we're, we're. We're two or three bubbles away from hyper Bitcoinization, like like being here. And as more and more people go into that all in on Bitcoin camp, the carrying cost of the bullshit from the legacy system is spread across fewer and fewer users. And so, you know, if they're hyper inflating, if a country's hyper inflating their currency and they lose 
half of their users to Bitcoin. Well, all of that inflation is now being carried by the half that haven't haven't left yet. So um, I think that this accelerates. I mean, e each bubble accelerates this this phenomenon and, and integration into our daily society and life um, uh, faster and faster, I think. So do you see it then, like what in your view would be an indicator that we're in a quote unquote final cycle and that we are actually just not going to have a big 80% drop and actually this time maybe it'll be like little dips on the way up? What do you, in your mind, how would you try to distinguish? I think we're near, we're, we're close to the end um, when uh, you have, let's say one of the top top six or seven central banks in the, in the world uh, publicly buying Bitcoin. When, when when you have like let's say uh, uh, the ECB or the Federal Reserve um, or um, uh, I'm forget blanking on uh, England's uh, Bank of England, when you have them publicly buying Bitcoin, all credibility is lost from the from the monetary system. Which I mean, to the people who are quote insiders to our financial system, the credibility is already shot. But I think that like it becomes glaringly obvious to everyone when a central bank is printing money and divesting it quickly to buy a digital asset. We're a ways from there. It's not. It's not going to happen tomorrow. It's not going to happen this bubble for sure. But um, you know, I think I think we're not that far. The game theory kicks in fast. I mean, you got the Iranian central bank buying Bitcoin. You have the Venezuelan central bank buying Bitcoin. I bet it won't be long before the Turkish central bank is buying Bitcoin. Um, and like, you know, it only takes probably, you know, 10 or 20 of these people like buying Bitcoin before every central bank. Like, <laughs> so I don't know. I think there's also one like what's going to really blow people's minds is that there's way more money in the world than people realize. I think that there's a huge game played of hiding money. Um, and uh, in this next bubble, um, let's say in 2025, um, people are going to have a hard time explaining why Bitcoin is worth more than all public equities and all commercial real estate in the world. Like, how do you explain that? That math does not make sense unless there's a lot more cash floating around in, in different assets in different in different countries than is recognized today. I think that's probably the case. Yeah. And arguably, Bitcoin sucks a bit of the value out of some of these overinflated asset classes. Let's say people are using property as their store of value on, you know, in various countries around the world, you know, even here in Australia, there's a massive property cult. It's all about buying property. You got to buy property. If you don't hold property, you're a loser or whatever. Whereas those of us in the Bitcoin world are more like, no, we actually see Bitcoin as a better long term store of value. So you need to be holding Bitcoin instead. Uh, so yeah, but I think it's an interesting point you make around, you know, you know, the cycles of it, and potentially it's 2025, maybe it's 2029, who knows. Um, and, there, and there's so many enabling technologies that I think are really important. Like I'm very bullish on Starlink uh, from SpaceX, the global satellite-based telecommunication system. That is such an important piece of infrastructure in terms of allowing people around the world to bypass the, the gate that's placed on telecommunications companies in kind of you know, crackpot countries around the world. And so uh, when anyone has access to a free and open internet and they have access to free and open money, it's just going to happen faster and faster and faster. Um, so I don't know. And, you know, there's the, the saying like uh, he who controls the money controls the world. And it's like uh, Bitcoiners now control the money. Like we are the money. And now it's that captain meme.
Look at me. Look at me. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I actually see this kind of uh, corruption, and I and I mean that in a positive way, of the political system actually happening, where like Bitcoiners are, might might take control of the political realm. Uh, in a way that I think a lot of people did not see coming. Like they saw like, oh, there's going to be this big political crackdown. And it's like, I don't know. I mean, if we have the money, maybe the politicians are like super eager to please the Bitcoin community. So yeah, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, we'll see. Speaking of politicians, how's uh, how's things been with, uh, is it Francis Suarez, the Miami mayor? I, I think that's very positive that he was uh, kind of welcoming uh, of the Bitcoin scene, Bitcoin community. Yeah, um, so I want to I want to give him a shout out as one of the political leaders in the United States who's le- leaning, truly leaning the most the most forward on Bitcoin. And there's a lot of people who are going to be trying to copy what he's doing in Miami, but he's really put his neck out there. There are people who are trying to uh, trip him up or to uh, turn it into a liability for him. And uh, he has so much uh, energy and passion on the topic that it's just like he's just uh, plowing right through them like a true toxic maximalist. So um, the like I just massive shout out to him. It was a nightmare dealing with the state of California and with the city of Los Angeles, a nightmare. And he has shown incredible leadership in making this happen. Um, you know, he was on a call. Uh, we were on a call with him yesterday and, and um, he's like, this is a strategic priority for the city of Miami and this um, event must happen here. We, anything that has to, any hurdles that we have, we had, we had a tiny hurdle we had to deal with. Any hurdles that come along, it's like this hurdle will be quashed and this is like the most important thing happening in Miami. And I, and I also want to give a shout out to Ron DeSantis's office, also uh, the governor of Florida, who's been uh, very um, supportive. Uh, but no, we were, so we were on this call yesterday and, and the, we haven't announced the venue yet, so I can't say the person's name, but the owner of the venue um, uh, that the conference will be at was on the call with us. And he's a, you know, po- very, very powerful person. And um, uh, he's big on blockchain, not Bitcoin. And so Mayor, Mayor Suarez was like, we forgive him that he's, you know, he hasn't really understand what, doesn't understand what's happening here. <laughs> But he will learn and he's going to come to the conference and he will be a Bitcoiner by the time this is all said and done. It's like, oh, hell yeah. Like, so, um, you know, Mayor Suarez, if he runs for president of the United States, he's got my vote. That's awesome, man. That's great to hear. And I think it really does, um, you know, you hear this kind of, oh, Bitcoin, government's going to ban Bitcoin. But really, you look at some of these other examples where they're very saying, yeah, come, come here. We want you here kind of thing. So, you know, I think it's a good example. I can't... Uh... I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm normally so transparent with everything, but your, your podcast has gotten so big. I know that if I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to screw myself over, but uh, <laughs> in the past, in the past uh, couple of weeks, we've had um, multiple chiefs of staffs of senators uh, reaching out. Uh, you know, the politicians are coming around wanting donations from the Bitcoin community, wanting to, wanting to build a Bitcoin lobby and um you know, I, I think that it's actually going to be a much more, uh, I don't know, amenable a, a setup than people than people think maybe. So we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, it seems to me like, I mean, the main things, at least 
Again, so it's a big world out there. There's, you know, whatever, 200 countries, obviously, but obviously the US is a very important one. But um, it seems from my perspective, at least as I kind of talk to people in the industry and stuff, it seems like the most concern is around things like, okay, fine, AML, KYC, sanctions, you know, some of that stuff. But other other than that, it seems more like governments are actually more concerned about like stable coins than they are about Bitcoin. So, you know, it seems like... Yeah, of course, yeah. Well, they're like not competition. You know, it's incredible. And then they're like, you know, eager to launch their own central bank coins. That's just going to like accelerate the on ramps. We talk about on ramps. Make it where everyone gets paid a digital U.S. dollar, and they're one click away from from dumping that and buying Bitcoin with it. You've just saved the biggest hurdle for us. So, um, yeah, I uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm very bullish. Uh, David, I'm also curious on your thoughts on any of the, um, you know, peer to peer markets and peer to peer trading of Bitcoin. Uh, what's your view on that whole world of Bitcoin? Well, I, you know, we, I think we talked about it a little bit earlier, but like, tr- what are they trading into? You know, peer to peer trading into fiat currency pairs. Yeah, just, you know, as, as ways for people who want to, let's say, buy Bitcoin peer to peer, you know, if they want to if there are peer-to-peer traders and things like that, do you kind of see a, a role for that part of the ecosystem as well? Well, for sure. I mean, I, I mean, that's just person-to-person economic activity, and I'm, I'm very bullish on that. But I'm bearish on people trading fiat for Bitcoin, or better said, trading Bitcoin for fiat long-term. And um, right. so I'm more, I'm more interested in, like, what does the Chicago Mercantile Exchange of Bitcoin look like? Like, where, where can I swap out my, my barrels of oil or my bales of hay or my, you know, true uh, investment grade commodities uh, for for Bitcoin peer to peer. That's what I want to see. Yeah. So I guess your view then in some ways, it's like, obviously for now, you know, as much as you and I are hardcore Bitcoin people, there are people who still have fiat and they still need to get out of fiat and into Bitcoin, obviously. But I think maybe your view then is that you'll see a lot more people earning Bitcoin as opposed to like directly buying it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I mean, think about uh, the 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 dollars people have in their bank accounts. How many of those dollars do they get by selling assets that they own to get the dollars versus the, the amount of dollars they get from earning them from their employer? Like ninety nine percent comes from from actual earned income. So you know, I, I like what I'm really bullish on seeing is like I want Iran to start selling their sanctioned oil for Bitcoin uh, natively. Like that's a Bitcoin only market. It's for a commodity, you know, like like that. that's the type of activity that, you know, Venezuela, if you want to start selling your oil reserves for Bitcoin, um, that I think really start building commodity markets that are authentic and that um, help. Those are the things that will help in time bring down the volatility of Bitcoin. Um, all right. How about now the technology aspects of Bitcoin, you know, the developments in, in Bitcoin, obviously Taproot is a big feature here. Um, but yeah, what, what kind of things are you looking forward to on that front in, in, a, in a Bitcoin technology point of view? Yeah. So I think, you know, for hyper Bitcoinization to happen, scalability is still a massive challenge. I think, um, I think Lightning has, I'm a little bit disappointed in the, the pace at which it has been commercialized by businesses in the ecosystem. Yeah, I, I won't. I won't share any, any break anybody's news or anything. But the the uh, I you know I think every company needs to take on the responsibility of pushing the boundaries of Bitcoin, and like that's a critical thing that needs to happen because we can't support a hundred million daily active Bitcoin users right now, not even close. And like you know, 
I think the system has the right kind of incentivization models that where when fees go astronomical, you'll see a lot more progress made a lot more quickly. But um, we need to be stress testing uh, the system. I will say the lending side of what's been going on where you can you know, collateralize your Bitcoin and borrow against them, uh, that has been incredibly useful uh, for people to be able to um, do one transaction and be able to get a lot of uh, purchasing power for investments, et cetera. Uh, I, you know, I don't know what's going on in the, in the secondary markets with rehypothecation, and I think that that could be a challenge we see come up. But I think lending has actually brought, taken a lot of stress off the system. You know, I'm following, uh, 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 oh, I'm blanking on his name, RGB, the C- Color Coins implementation or started as on top of Bitcoin, uh, Giacomo, Giacomo's project. Uh, I think that that could be very cool. Um, you know, I, I, again, I know that it's it's uh, not kosher to, 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 you know, talk DeFi and Ethereum, especially with all the bullshit that's there. But there are cool elements to what's going on. And I think um, like this NFT uh, uh, action, hyper speculative. And, you know, a lot of people are going to be wrecked. But also authentically, if you go on to the Nifty Gateway, like some of these tokens, like I saw one the other day that that's uh, NFT. A, a famous artist uh, crossed with Dead Mouse made a custom like beats to the to the art, and it's like that's like a cool digital sculpture that's actually unique. That can be done on Bitcoin. So you know, I want us to get to the point where like the original NFTs were built on top of Bitcoin, uh, your your Pepe Cash. And so um, you know, there's a project out there I think called Scarcity uh, that's trying to bring NFTs to Bitcoin, but. Let's get back to stress testing the system. Can we do NFTs on top of Lightning Network? Um, can we do some of these experimental things that bring a, a culture of experimentation? You know, layer one has ossified, but like layer two and layer three, th- I mean, there's a lot of places for people to move fast and break stuff within Bitcoin. So um, uh, I hope we, we see a lot more of that this year. I will say that just from the conference perspective, <clears throat> over the past, you know, let's say two years, the pace at which new businesses are um, being created right now in Bitcoin that are reaching out to us has dramatically increased. Like, I mean, I would say we've probably had 20 businesses that haven't launched yet, maybe 30 businesses that haven't launched yet that have reached out to us about, about the conference, which, you know, I don't even know if there was 30 new Bitcoin businesses of significant size that were started in all of in all of 2019. So um, that's the type of kind of rapid increase in innovation that I, I hope continues to happen, and it needs to happen if we're going to be ready for our hyper Bitcoinization moment. Right. Yeah. And um, so yeah, I mean, look, personally, I'm not as into the whole NFT thing, whatever. But you know, whatever people are going to find ways to you know do things on side chains and on lightning, you know, that's cool. I mean, it all kind of, I guess, in some form, it's additive. To me, the most in- interesting part is obviously the sound money parts, which I'm sure you also get too. Um, so I, I'm... It doesn't work without the sound money part. That's that's the whole, the whole core crux of it. But like, once you have sound money, magic can be made to happen. And I want to see people make magic, you know, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned also the lending aspect of it as well. And I think that seems to be an interesting trend as well, because people are talking about this idea of, oh, okay, don't spend your Bitcoin, collateralize it. And, you know, now disclosure, I have some sponsors who, you know, uh, Unchained Capital offer this as a service and HODL HODL Lend offer that. So just for listeners, but I think that's an interesting area as well, because potentially the more people who use those kinds of services, now there is some risk, you know, there is a risk of being liquidated, but for the people who do it responsibly at a small amount, 
it could really reduce the sell pressure going into this you know, bull run, basically. Yeah, or at least uh, uh, push the sell pre- pressure to the, the extremes of the bell curve. But um, I think uh, Unchained Capital is uh, uh, an awesome business. I think how they're thinking about lending in general is kind of maybe the evolution of where this goes in terms of choosing who your counterparty is and actually like uh, making you take responsibility for what the counterparty risk is. Because of course, you know, there is counterparty risk. But yeah, I think, I think uh, uh, the less money you have to pay out to the government, the better. So I, I think lending has been uh, absolutely incredible for allowing people to, to turn what would have been short-term capital gains into long-term capital gains. Um, and and for people to be able to sorry uh, for people to be able to um, uh, really preserve their Bitcoin to the best of their ability and you know on the on the the lending front I, you know I think there's also some interesting I'm very interested in this cycle what the IRS how, how their how their view of Bitcoin as an asset and how they tax it and treat it is going to change because there's some topics that DeFi have really has brought to the surface that they have not weighed in on that uh, I think. Um, might kind of shift how some of the lending stuff works at the end of the day. Um, I, I'm also very interested in how the lightning lending market's evolving. Um, we have a Bitcoin fund on the side, uh, UTXO management, and we're always looking for places to get yield with our Bitcoin. And so uh, uh, the lending market, it's it's evolved a lot, but there's also a lot of the behind the scenes, if you were to map out the flow of money, there's a lot of shared risk that people are not, um, appreciating, you know, like, oh, I, I'm not using BlockFi, I'm using so and so, and it's like, okay, well, both BlockFi and so and so are using the same fund uh, behind the scenes, and then that fund is using the same platform, and it's like, oh shit, like honestly, this is way more connected, and I'm sure there will be a oh fuck moment, but um, you know, the awesome thing about Bitcoin is there's no there's no central bank, so uh, when things blow up, you have to you have to learn the lesson from them, and the market gets better the next go around. So I you know I think uh, uh, there will probably be a, a disaster that comes from the lending side, but it'll probably make the entire ecosystem way more robust. Yeah, it's a short-term pain for long-term gain, I guess. Um, and I guess as as this ecosystem grows, um, you know how in the internet circles, people talk about this idea of eternal September, right? Like because there's not enough, basically the idea that there's not enough kind of OG people who are enforcing a certain culture, that there's like all these new people coming in. Do you see that happening or do you see it more like, okay, now we've got, you know, we've got Bitcoin Magazine, we've got podcasts, we've got YouTube, we've got all these kind of ways that new people coming in learn the ethos and the values of Bitcoin. What, what's your view on all of that? Yeah. So this is a, this is a deep question. Uh, uh, you know, the, um, so I, <laughs> this is good. This is probably not a good thing to say on a podcast, but I've really come around to the idea of Bitcoin as a religion. And, and I say that because like religion <laughs> uses, uh, uh, symbols and, and effectively what are memes in order to convey ideas that are actually deep intellectual, uh, philosophical, uh, psychological, uh, concepts that your average person just does not have the time or the need to completely appreciate and march down. And so you distill a super con- a, a, a super complicated idea down to like hold. You know, like we could go into Austrian economics for like 3 days or just hold. And it's like, okay, you know, and like hodl is like our version of like, you know, amen or something, you know. So <laughs> uh, uh, I think that that it's it's a natural progressive progression for the community to make to to memify 
and to develop a culture that allows our ideas to transfer via osmosis. So like, I, I don't think every person is going to, it's even realistic to, to think people, every person will be a cypherpunk. But I do think it uh, is realistic for us to imbue uh, religious importance to cypherpunk concepts and that those will permeate throughout society um, because without them, you will be led astray within the ecosystem of which what is Bitcoin. If you don't hodl, you'll be massively financially punished. If you don't hold your own private keys, then you'll eventually be robbed. Like. It, the, the, the memes are born out of a, a, of a true realization that people have to appreciate in one way or the other. It's just how deep do they want to go in actually understanding why they do what they do. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I, and that's, that's one of the missions that we have with Bitcoin Magazine and the conference, uh, you, which you just alluded to. It's like we need to take Bitcoin culture and we just need to uh, shout it from the mountaintops because otherwise we're going to be living in Groundhog Day where the same lessons get taught over and over and over again. And it, maybe that's what, how it has to happen. God, I hope not. I mean, there hasn't been a Mount Gox since Mount Gox. So that does give me some hope that like we're getting better. You know, we're getting yeah, I mean, they've been exchange hacks, but just not as big, I guess. Or relative, the relative size of them is not as, yeah. Getting smaller, right? It's not eighty. Mount Gox is eighty percent, ninety percent market share. You know, I mean, can you if if you told someone that ninety percent of market share of Bitcoin was a Ponzi scheme that it was going to implode, and everyone who had money on that platform, you know, fifty percent of users were going to lose everything they had, you would think that that's just like the definite, definite death of Bitcoin, and it wasn't. That's the just. It's one of those parts of history that I just still can't believe that that's how anti-fragile our system is. But anyway, that's a, another topic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people say, you know, Bitcoin, uh, it just, how many times have these people have people come out and said, Oh, Bitcoin is dead and you know, whatever. And that's like now the meme that, you know, even if Bitcoin you know pumps like five X and then it drops just a little bit, like the media people come out and like, Oh, see Bitcoin is dead. It is crashed. It is never going back. Well, people, I got the Tether article that went out. Uh, I had a bunch of people message it to me. So, I mean, I, I guess it really went viral. And they're like, you know, is Bitcoin pumping for this reason? And could this could this be the end of Bitcoin? And it's like, I was like, even if it was a Ponzi scheme and, you know, even if it was 90% of trading volume, we'd still be fine. Because look at Mt. Gox. It's happened before. <laughs> it's all happened before and it's all going to happen again. <laughs> so look, David, I think that's probably a good spot to wrap up here. Obviously, uh, before we let you go, where can listeners find you online? Where can they find the conference and where can they find Bitcoin Magazine? Yeah, so I'm, I'm on a, a Twitter strike right now. So you can find me uh, at Bitcoin Magazine. Um, uh, you can also find the conference uh, at the Bitcoin Conference. Um, you can check out all of our different uh, media properties and events and community stuff that we're doing at b.tc. Um, and, you know, please get involved. Please read Bitcoin uh, Magazine content. If you have a great idea that you don't hear anyone else talking about, please, please write in about doing a contribution. We would love to publish it. And come to the Bitcoin conference and, and come in full glory, uh, espousing uh, uh, everything that's fantastic about Bitcoin. And, uh, you know, wear it loud and wear it proud, man. I mean, this is, we are the tip of the spear of a cultural revolution that's happening right now, a true cultural revolution 
And, you know, it's, it's the people's money and it's, it's, it's truly power to the people. So, um, uh, thank everyone for, for listening to my rants here. Uh, thanks for being part of what we're doing. Stefan, thank you for letting me come on to the, the podcast and, uh, I look forward to seeing everyone in Miami. Fantastic. Thank you. Make sure you get the show notes at stefanlevera.com slash 256 for this episode. Thanks, and I will see you in the Citadels.